Well, hi. Hi, everyone. This is Deidre Kindred, your nurse advocate, back today with Health Chats Among Friends. So I have the pleasure tonight of speaking with my good friend. I used to work with her in the hospitals, and it was just an awesome uh, just to be alongside of a competent nurse practitioner. Her name is Lottie Everett, and I have her here tonight because we're going to learn about who she is and what she's doing. So Lottie, say hi. Hi, everybody. Awesome, awesome. So Lottie, let's uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them what you do and a little bit about you. About you. So my, I'm Lottie Everett. I have been a nurse for 23 years. Um, I started out as an LVN back in 1999. Um, it's taken me 20 years, but I got my nurse practitioner. I've been one for about three years. Um, and I do house calls. So I have a practice out of Carrollton. It's called Absolute Primary Care House Calls. And basically what we do is, is we help serve the medically underserved and we go to their homes and take their take the clinic to the patient because there's so many times, even with COVID, that patients cannot get to their primary care doctor and then they need home health and then they need rehab and then they need um, you know, medical equipment or something new has happened and they're coming out of the hospital. So one of the things we do is we go see the patients approximately every 30 days so that we can help them stay where they can get the, you know, whatever medical necessities they have. So we do that. And so one of the things that a lot of our patients are always concerned about is, well, I already have a primary care doctor. Yes. So the way that Medicare looks at that, and even most of the insurances now look at that, is you can have a PCP as an outpatient, which is where you go to the clinic to see the patient. They also let you have a inpatient PCP, which is the house call services. So one of the reasons this got started was because um, in 2013, now house calls has always been around. It's just mm -hmm. kind of been in the background. It really became prominent about um, seven years ago. Um, in 2013, CMS had put it out that they were going to start fining everybody from home health to physicians to um, rehabs and hospitals for readmissions. And so um, several of the home health companies started contacting physicians and mid-levels like nurse practitioners and PAs to see if they could come help with signing the paperwork because they were seeing these patients and um, trying to keep the readmission rates down because education is so, so very important when it comes to patients being compliant. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what they started doing. Well, CMS has actually changed the rules and regulations so much for home health and hospice that now for you to be able to get home health, you have to have all your paperwork up front before they can be certified to go. Mm -hmm. So I used to do home health um, while I was going to school and we were able to do preloaded visits. We could go see them once, twice, three times mm -hmm. when they got out of the hospital because insurance would back pay. And we could go see them, get them admitted, and then we could get the authorization for the visits. That is no longer allowed. Right. You cannot do um, preloaded visits. The other thing they started this year in January of 2021 was you have to have the progress note with the face-to-face -face in order before you can even submit to get authorization for the visits. Right. So a lot of times, you know, you might get, the home health might get one or two um, things, but they don't get all three of them. 
So several of the home health companies have started contacting me and like, hey, we can't get the PCP to sign these, you know, and primary care doctors are so overworked mm-hmm. and their schedules are so clustered that right. we try to help with that. And so we're not competing for patients. We're just trying to try to make it a little easier on them, help the patient be more compliant, stay out of the hospital, because all of that ends up making patient's life more complicated, the family's life more complicated, more susceptible to infections. And we really try to bring that down to where we don't have to do that. So um, they started, the home health company started contacting me because they couldn't get the PCP to sign, the plan of care, couldn't get the face-to-face and all this stuff because all the new rules and regulations mm-hmm. that have And so I started doing that. And there are many times that I go see patients that need hospice and they just can't get an order. They can't get a face-to-face on that patient. And so what we'll do is we'll go out, I'll, me or one of the nurse practitioners will go out, we'll assess them. If we see that it's appropriate, we will, we will let the hospice know or a home health and we will write the order for it. Now at that time, the patient and the family have the option of, we can stay on as the PCP. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the hospice doctor. Okay. Because back, you know, when, when hospice really became a really prevalent um, entity for healthcare, well, most of the PCPs were like, okay, if you're on hospice, I don't have you anymore. You're not on my service. The medical director takes care of everything. But the CMS rules and regulations actually say that if you are on hospice, the hospice medical director is only supposed to treat you for what you were on hospice for. Now, as a PCP, we can put in modifiers when we bill that completely takes them out of the hospice part. So an example would be if a patient is on hospice for COPD, but they have um, high blood pressure or diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. If they have those, well, they technically don't have a PCP for those two disease processes anymore because right. Right. their PCP has left everything for the medical director of the hospice and the medical director of the hospice really is not is not obligated to take care of those. So that's where we've partnered with some of the hospice companies and we come in and we take care of the other things as being the PCP because we can write a modifier and it doesn't affect their bundle for their hospice care. So it takes it, that part completely out of the situation. Oh, that's awesome. See, so many changes that go on, you know, over time. And, and that's why I enjoy these talks because keeping up with everything is difficult for us, let alone someone who is not well-versed in the healthcare system. So I love the concept because even before COVID, we do have an underserved population. They cannot get to the doctors and it's a disservice. And I love that you, your company can help with that. So what areas do you serve? It actually served the entire Metroplex. I've actually done a couple of patients outside the Metroplex simply mm-hmm. because, you know, they just couldn't get somebody to, to come and see them or they couldn't get to the doctor. So mm-hmm. I actually, around Thanksgiving, being at Thanksgiving, of course, a lot of people are not available. So right. I actually went and admitted a patient in Temple, and then I helped them convert over from nursing home to hospice because of the very reason of them not having anybody 
and they had moved dad from one or two places and then he went into the nursing home because his dementia got a lot worse well then when he got home the family was like oh my gosh we didn't know it was this bad Mm -hmm. and so then they were like we don't know what to do so then we talked and we ended we ended up putting him on hospice but I helped them with that transition all the way into the whole hospice aspect of it Mm -hmm. and um because being a nurse for 23 years I literally have worked in every area except for OR and a nursing home. So everything else I have worked in. Now I have, you know, being a nurse and you work on a floor and, um, you know, working in ICU, ER, LTACs, all that stuff. I've done all of that thing, those things. So you learn yep. how to transition them over right. into that by having multiple conversations. And one of the things that our patients really, really have learned to love or have really been, or we've earned that trust is we, I, uh, me and one of the other nurse practitioners actually have a cell phone that we keep on us so that the patients always have the ability to communicate with us. Now, it might be through text. You might not get me, but if you text me or leave me a voicemail, I'm going to call you back. Okay. And that phone is just for patients. And we don't, I mean, that's the phone number we give to our patients every single time that we go and admit them so that they understand you can trust us and we're available because yeah. I can help keep patients out of the hospital by treating them for a UTI at home rather than right. send them to the hospital. And then, you know, you're now you're subjecting yourself to COVID, you're doing your, you know, you're mm-hmm. getting yourself to pneumonia well, and so many other things. Yeah. And really try to prevent that. And it's so funny because this type of service makes you really open your eyes because I was sitting in a doctor's office um, with a client last week. Yep, last week. And we were talking about, you know, getting the client to and from, you know, other doctor's office visits. And it's not simple. It's a lot of coordination. So in order to, to have a service such as yours, that helps alleviate some stress, you know, yeah. and some confusion with the clients. Well, and the thing is, is like, um, I was a case manager for three years. So I was the supervisor slash case manager over Plaza Medical Center's case management department for about two years. Mm -hmm. I really learned a lot. So one of the things about me is I am like a human sponge for knowledge. Um, We discovered probably back when I was about eight years old, I have pretty close to a photographic memory. That's awesome. Um, I can't tell you everything all the time like tell you what the words are but like I can tell you I can walk into a room I can leave and come back and and somebody will say where is something and I can tell them where it's at that's awesome Um, I discovered them when I when I was about eight with my mom and so since then I've just kind of like built on top of that to where I'd have just become a human sponge if I read it probably gonna know about 90 percent of it by the time I'm done so that's where I use a lot of that knowledge base by keeping up with, with CMS and keeping up with the insurance companies mm-hmm. and being able to provide these services for patients. Right. Like one of the things that people don't realize, I do what we call a PGX on every one of my patients that I admit if they have not had it done in their lifetime. So what PGX is, is a pharmagenetics. Oh. So it tells me what you can what medications you are going to be able to take that your body will actually process. That's awesome. Let me give an example. So I had a gentleman, he had fallen, he had hurt himself off of the ladder when he was doing some things. 
I've given him Tylenol 3. Well, it's got codeine in it, so it's very regulated. And so I actually, he was just calling me. He's like, these are not working. These are not working. He literally, in about seven days, had taken about enough medications for 14 days because he was getting no relief. Uh-huh. Well, we hadn't gotten his PGX information back, his pharmacogenetic test back. So when I got it back, like a couple of days later, within three days, I looked at it, his body does not process coding. So his body wasn't getting any pain relief because his body didn't even know how to use it. So oh, I put wow. him on a whole pain medicine, tramadol, whole tram, mm-hmm. um, doesn't have the coding in it. No. Took it for three or four days, hasn't taken another pain pill since. Awesome. And so it just goes to show that it's based on it. So, uh, you know, we have a big opiate crisis right now. So yeah. the question would be is, is part of the reason why the patient is on pain management or the patient's on taking all these medications, is it because their body just isn't processing it and we need to give them an alternative? So that's one of the things I do for this. The same thing with patients who are on blood pressure medicine or on um, antidepressants and anxiety. If we don't know that it's not working, mm-hmm. you can't treat them properly. And so there have been several, I mean, I have probably um, six or seven patients that I can like right off the top of my head can tell you where I get their testing back and I can literally change their medication. And it's a night and day difference from what oh, that. So how it, is that PGX expensive? Do all labs do it or no, is that something you that you do? It, you only can get it done at a genetic lab, um, okay. but all insurances pay for it. So, because one of the things that the research studies have shown is it cuts down on adverse reactions, Hmm. it cuts down on ER visits, and it improves therapeutic level on medications to where you're not doing a trial and error. Because so many times, I mean, even in your nursing history, you know, we put our first line of defense for high blood pressure is ACE inhibitors, right? Mm -hmm. So, what if their body doesn't process an ACE inhibitor? Right. You're not going to know it for 60 days, you know, 30, 60 days that it even is working or not. Where if we do a pharmacogenetic test on them, we're going to know within 10 days, seven to 10 days. Mm-hmm. We're going to know if that medication actually works or not instead of doing a trial and error. So if you put them on ACE inhibitor and their body right. doesn't process it, you're going to put them into acute renal failure or acute kidney disease or injury. Damage, so then if we so. would automatically to put them on an ARB or a calcium channel blocker mm-hmm. instead of putting them on an ACE inhibitor. Right, right. And that, that, that's, you know, that's key. You know, I would love to learn more about that. Every time I do these talks, I learn something different. So that's what's the beauty of, you know, having such a great network. So uh, my other question is, is that if, walk me through a typical home visit. So basically we, we get, we do an hour visit. Um, we allot an hour for our patients. Now there are patients like, um, this past, past two weeks, I don't know, last week was like one of them day, one of them weeks, but, um, we work with Anthem Blue Cross with their case managers on patients who are just something like it's, everything's not adding up, um, as far as the patient care. So I went and seen this gentleman on Saturday and he probably had 50 bottles of, of medication. Mm, all of them were all different doses, yep. pretty much the same meds. And they had dates all the way back to 2018. Mm. So visits like that take me about two hours because I literally go through everything with them. Right, right. 
keep pulling bags of meds out. I mean, it's just like, he, I think he ended up pulling like four bags of medications out from all different places for me to go through. So I ended up taking two hours, but most of the time it takes an hour. Um, I do a lot of history um, and talk with them about preventative medicine, making sure they're doing their things um, to help prevent from continuing on making sure they're being compliant. We go through their meds and we talk about education on what the medications are for, get a list of their doctors so that we can constantly communicate with them, mm -hmm. send them all of my progress notes so that they know, hey, this patient's on the service and we're here to help you not. Right, right. And then we'll talk about what testing we do. Now for every patient, I have a test, I have a protocol for admissions. We basically do the lab work that you're gonna have to have for an annual wellness exam. Okay. We don't generally call that that until we know for sure that the patient hasn't had one in the last year. Okay. Um, because if their primary care is doing that, we're not gonna do that. Right, right. Because it's, it's a lot of questionnaires that are just about preventative health. Um, and then we will go and then, so I do those testings just for that. We do a chest x-ray and an EKG. Um, I, we have caught pneumonia early on oh, that's awesome. so many different people, including mm. the ones at the assisted living. So like, they're like, well, I'm not coughing. Well, you're not coughing yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. And then we do the EKG for the baseline. Um, and then we do the pharmacogenetics. Now, um, one thing that is um, different and unique about us is everything that we do goes to the patient. From the genetic testing to the lab to radiology, ultrasound, all of that goes to the patient. Um, we also have a pain management doctor out of Richardson that has hired a nurse practitioner that helps us cover the pain management patients that are in the home. Good. Um, luckily enough for him, he has like four different clinics, so he really services a lot of our patients. And then we have, um, and then we also have it to where we can do EEGs at home on patients who um, have seizures. And things. That so is awesome. The yes. mm -hmm. only mm -hmm. thing that we have not been able to, and, and we will never be able to get at home, is an MRI and a CT. Yeah, yeah. Those things will never be able to be getting it, gotten mm -hmm. at home. But everything else we can do in the home, an echo, cardiogram for the heart, sonogram of the heart, sonogram of anything, we can do it. Um, okay. And so we actually bring all of that stuff um, into the home. We, we don't contract with anybody because we want the patient to have that ability to choose. If they have a lab that they want to go to, mm -hmm. I have no problem. I'll write them the orders. I'll give it to them and they can go and get it done at whatever lab they want. Um, but uh, most of them want us to bring it to them. Um, we even work with five different pharmacies that will actually deliver to the patient's home to help. Wonderful. With. And one of the things is, is CMS is actually doing a pilot, uh, is actually doing a program right now to find out how many gap days do they need to give providers mm -hmm. to, before they start penalizing for noncompliance. Um, so, um, so it, they're basing it off of how big the practice is versus how many days versus all this other stuff. So a gap day is, so if a patient needs to have their high blood pressure medicine refilled on the 12th and they don't refill it till the 15th, that is three gap days that, have, mm -hmm. that is applied to the provider. And it's applied to, the, to whomever has wrote that prescription. Now, a lot of times, many times because of COVID, a lot of patients haven't seen their PCP in over a year. Mm -hmm. Well, 
if that PCP is the one that's doing the medications and then they don't do that, but that PCP is the one that's going to get penalized for those gap dates. Okay. And so that's been going on for a couple of years. I want to say 2018 is when that started. So they usually do a program for about five years before they actually put out what they're going to do to penalize people. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I get letters on a regular basis from insurance companies saying this patient is not being compliant with their medication. You prescribed it. It's been over 90 days since they refilled, you know, things like that. So then I have to start calling the patient or the office has to start calling the patient so we can find out, did you, are you going to a different provider? Because I don't want that happening to us and end up making it to where the providers have a, you know, a, a larger gap day or a smaller gap day before they're penalized. That's not fair. And I've had many physicians say, well, how is it our fault? It all has to do with education. Right. If we educate, then they know how important that medication is. Right. Let right. them know, hey, you know what? You can't pay for it. Guess what? We have all these drug companies now have programs where if you don't have the money to pay for it, mm -hmm. they will give you your medications for up to six months or a year for free because you right. don't have that ability. And the thing is, is you have to start doing the extra step. It can't just say, okay, well, they're not taking their meds. That's not how that works anymore. Uh, and so, you know, there's, and that's the reason why a lot of these PCPs are so overworked and we they really are. try to make that not be such a problem. And that's and great. That's all about partnerships and, and teamwork. You know, because uh, I bet you, as well as I, sometimes you get a lot of you trying to take my patients, you know, you know, and it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to take your patients. We're trying to build that team and collaborative effort in order to make the patient's life better. That's what we're trying to do. And I love that, that your services is, it's a lot of patient directed because I remember you saying that you give the results to the patient. Yes. You know, and so that, makes them responsible because they have to take accountability as well for your own health care, right? And that's the thing is, it's like being a nurse, you mm -hmm. you have to learn to de chart defensively. You have to like look at it as what could somebody come back and say later, right? <sighs> yes. So, I mean, it's, it's like what somebody told me one time, they're like, it's not if you get sued or you get reported, it's when. Right. Because it's so many people don't understand what what it is. I mean, because there's so many things trying that are, you know, are trying to be part of the synergy to be preventative medicine. Right. You know, you have remote patient monitoring. Well, all the physicians are getting behind that because there's reimbursement. You can hire a third party company to do it for you. You monitor the thing. You know, there's chronic care management. Are you taking your meds? Are you doing your things you're supposed mm -hmm. to do? Mm -hmm. And so many of them are competing because they want to be able to build for those right. things. Because three or four years ago, when all this came out, well, Medicare and and, and Medicaid, were, you know, reimbursement is like $500 a month per patient. And all you had to do is spend 20 minutes with them. Well, it's not yeah. that high anymore because now so many people have gotten right. on the bandwagon. Yeah. So we should all work together. I mean, if I find out a patient is on remote patient monitoring, I don't even worry about it. Like I had a patient a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, my PCP has already ordered for some blood pressure machine or something to be delivered. And uh -huh. cool, great. I'm not going to put you on it because I don't, my deal is I don't compete for money and patients. Mm -hmm. I want the patients to feel, to get the best care possible. 
Right. And it's all about them, you know? I'm from the country. So, you know, a lot of, when I was growing up, you had a choice of two doctors. That was it. Mm. You had a choice of all these doctors. And if you needed a specialist, you were going to Dallas or Abilene. And there was no <laughs> wow. one in between. Um, you know, now they have them in Federal Wells. Yeah, yeah. Where yep. they travel. People have choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the way it was for my mom. And so that's kind of where, you know, once I found out that house calls was a thing and being a nurse practitioner, then that's where it kind of like kept pushing me to do that was because my mom had to struggle to get there. So yeah. me living here and my mom living there two and a half hours away, my mom might have a hematology appointment because she had anemia. Mm-hmm. Might have a hematology appointment in Abilene at three o'clock in the afternoon. My mom has to get on the bus at six thirty in the morning. Right. Because my mom didn't drive. Right. Anymore. Right. She don't get home till eight o'clock at night. Yeah. That's not fair. No, you know? it's not. And then mm-hmm. they sit on this bus and then they're like, "Oh, I have a DVT." Well, that could have been that twelve-hour ride. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like they don't realize that this, you know, all these people don't have this accessibility. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And it really, it's really concerning. And that's the reason why we try to service all the medically underserved as much as we possibly can. You are so right. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. My staff is like going, this has not got anything to do with their health. I'm like, don't care if it's affecting their psychological mentality. It's going to affect their care. It might not today. Yeah. We're our human as a whole not just our physical body, but it also includes our mind. Because if a patient doesn't feel like they can trust you and that they're secure, then that's gonna affect how they, whether they're compliant or not. Right. And it's gonna affect on how their health is managed. Because if they trust you, they will get better. Right. Because I can't count how many times when I used to work with every one of my patients. And that's because they felt comfortable. And by day two or three, they're ready to go home. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, because I listen to them. Right. You have said. Your patient's you not calling on the monitor. No, because mm-hmm. I've made them feel secure. And I go in there and say, okay, we're doing ABC today. Yeah. And you get a schedule for D at two o'clock. Right. And, that's, and then that's they're not so asking key. you all the time for stuff. And they're not telling you what they want and pushing on the car light. Mm-hmm. It all has to do with being proactive about it. Right, right. And, you know, you said so much there. And it in medical, in medicine, we have done a disservice to people by just focusing on that medical problem. That body, mind, spirit, you know, all that, all those dynamics come into play, finances, you know, we can have all these greatest services, but what if they don't have the financial ability to get those said services? So we can't blame them, you know, so it's all about teaching about access to resources and teaching them how to be involved. Because I've had patients who, like I had one last week, she's like, I had a settlement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lottie, if someone wanted to find out more about your amazing service and uh, ask more questions, because I know it's much, much more than we were able to talk about in that short time, but I would love for you to uh, let them know how to get in touch with you.
can you give us your website or your phone or I think we paused a little bit here. Yes, so um, my website is absolutepchc.com. And there is a link on there that you can click on if you want more information, it automatically comes to me. Um, our office number is 972-666-9200. And then the cell phone that I keep with me at all times is 817-823-8057. Um, there are many times after hours, I have that phone whenever they call for referrals so I can see them the next day in case it's an emergency that way. Well, awesome. This has been amazing. I have to have you back soon to talk about, we can hone in on a specific topic. So, Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. And thank you guys for tuning in to Health Chats Among Friends. My name is Deidre Kindred. I'm a nurse advocate, educator, and navigator. I love bringing you reputable resources from your local communities. Tune in next week for another amazing chat. Have a good evening.